You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Dan Meitschek, I help companies connect with the best tech talent, and I'm your host. So welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Jenny, Hannah, Per, and Hans to discuss how does company growth change day-to-day working and culture. So before we delve deeper into the topic, I'll work my way around the room now with some introductions. So Jenny, do you want to kick us off with an introduction? Yes, thank you. My name is Jenny Denemark. I'm a VP for Product Platform at Lumera, a life and uh, pension uh, system uh, environment. Um, And um, I have been working here for four years and we're growing extensively. And um, well, before that, I spent uh, 20 years in fintech with trading uh, systems and I have a master of science in physics. So I'm an engineer from the beginning. That's me. Fantastic. Cheers, Jenny. And we'll move to you, Hannah, next, please. So hi, I'm Hannah Lindqvist. I'm working as CTO for Blockit. I've been there for about a year. I've been trying out both product and tech in Blockit, but right now I'm the CTO. Before that, I was working in iSettle, which was acquired by PayPal. So it was first iSettle and then PayPal as the VP of engineering there. And before that, I've been in different companies, always uh, in the border between tech and product, like CTO and CPO. So that's me. Fantastic. Amper will come to you next. Yes. Hi, everyone. Amper Hidden. Uh, I've been heading up product department in digital product company for the last 15 years, including startup companies and both on and larger companies from B2B and B2C. And my main experience from companies in hyper growth uh, comes mainly from my years at uh, Internet Strategy Consultants Cell Network during the dot com years. And then after that, from my time at PriceRunner, Doctor.Etsy, and and, uh, lastly, from the online uh, gambling industry. Fantastic. And then last but not least, we'll come to you, Hans. Great. Uh, My name is Hans Sandström, and I'm the CTO of Breed Ventures. Uh, I'm relatively new here at Breed, um, but I've been in the industry for about 20 years, working all over the place um, in... uh, like embedded development and .NET and some Java teaching and uh, the last uh, five or seven years, something like that. I've been working mostly with uh, management and helping teams grow and agile development. And uh, now I'm the CTO at Breed Ventures. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. So now that we've established a little bit more context to each of you, we'll move on to the topic in focus. So you all have a question or statement on how does company growth change day-to-day working and culture. And as usual, I'll work my way around the room, asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. And then each of you have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So Hannah, we'll start with your question if you want to kick us off. Yeah, and my question was, how do you uh, keep the company culture while growing a lot? And how, I mean, it's, it's actually a bigger question. How do you keep the, the small entrepreneur people happy while at the same time keeping the business happy by growing, basically. And uh, I had a quote from from a very dear colleague when I was working in iSettle, and and he said that uh, growing up is fun, but being a grown-up is not fun. Uh, And I think that was, it it was a good thought. And the struggle was uh, that half of the company were from the startup times, and the other half were from the new era. and I think the, the, the big challenge there is to keep this mentality 
of a small company because that's lovely while at the same time having some kind of processes or order in in the company to be able to onboard new employees to be able to do things fast and you know structure you need structure anyway so that's that's basically why i posted the question i don't have like this uh, super answer to it but i still think it's very very interesting and i think it's something that many companies face uh, today yeah surely that comment i mean i think overall it's uh, it's positive isn't it every company most of the company at least want to grow and uh, want to grow quickly uh, because uh, everyone uh, gets a better career there's a lot of opportunities you get more sort of muscles and, and expertise to to handle your your product or your customers etc but surely that comes with challenges uh, isn't it uh, with new people coming on board you need to refine rebuild the, the values and the culture uh, you normally with the bigger company will need to be the structure and layers more overhead uh, more specialist roles uh, etc so uh, yeah how to do that the best way uh, isn't that the, the, the big question here yeah, and I think people tend to, I mean, many people tend to jump ship when it gets too, too big in their minds. So, so, and you want to keep the entrepreneurs as well, if possible. So it's, it's this balance that I think is, is the challenge here. Yeah, isn't that what bigger companies try to invent the role of intrapreneur? They're trying to be inventive in, the, in a larger context. And also, isn't that, uh, I think, a bit about the agile uh, mind, uh, splitting up in smaller team uh, of doing that. Uh, but of course, if you're really keen on, on sitting in the middle as you can really do with, with smaller startup, being involved in every decision uh, from nitty gritty to strategy, uh, that becomes harder and harder the, the bigger you are. Uh, because then decision making cannot be sit with with just a few people. No, I was I was just about to say that. Uh, I mean, I think that is the very big challenge because initially you are the founder, you're part of everything, and you have a very strategic position. And then as the as the organization grows uh, and you cannot really participate in all aspects, and you have more tailored roles with experts in all of these different fields, it's not it's often not as fun for them anymore and maybe they also feel a bit sidestepped um, and even if you have these small, smaller agile teams it's not the same thing because they are no in, in in those teams they are no longer this spider in the web that can interfere and and impact uh, uh, broader so mm. I agree it's a very big challenge and it's really tough to lose these people that uh, contribute so greatly to to um, to the overall solution. The, the hard part is it also, yeah, uh, I was going to say, like um, on top of what you said, Jenny, I think it's uh, a lot of cases you solve different problems when you're a bigger company. You tend to streamline the processes. You tend to have even have processes in a small company, just do things. Uh, so that mentality in itself, I think, will scare a lot of people off. So it's it's about empowerment of, of individuals uh, and then teams. I think that's really key. Uh, not saying that is in any way, shape, or form easy, but I think that's where it what it boils down to. And as a leader, uh, being able to to empower these teams it, it might be hard because in a big organization you have harder business requirements. So in a way, it starts with with the with the management uh, on top of of, of the tech teams uh, because if you don't have their sort of trust, it's really hard to give out more of this trust to uh, to uh, the the tech teams and the and the specialists and that's that's where it starts i'd say but how to do that exactly that's 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 not easy at all that is i think it's it's about giving the teams 
full responsibility of what they do. And I think that's something that I really, that is really close to my heart to, to get the team all the prerequisites they need in order to take the full responsibility and also make them take responsibility, not only on the good side, also on the bad side, that if something goes wrong, if you build it, you run it, you have to fix it. You have to wake up in the middle of the night and fix your own problems because you're, you have this responsibility. And then you create like small startup mentalities within the bigger company. And then you don't need that many processes. If you know what you're responsible for, you don't need to have like the biggest structured processes around. So, so I think that is one trick. Yeah, isn't that a bit of the topic of this, uh, this podcast? How do, you, how do we keep uh, the joy of the culture? How do we actually keeping the joy of working with you? even if you're uh, 10 people or you're or, uh, 1,000 people. And of course, that's a challenge. Uh, but if with strong values, strong company cultures, uh, maybe that is possible. But then again, I, I think people that there are potentially not the same people that uh, are needed or want to work in a 10 people company versus a 1,000 people company. So it could be a natural shift along, uh, shift along the way, I think. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Um, we'll move on to Per. We'll go to your question next, if that's okay, on hybrid work and how it affects company growth culture. Yeah, it's uh, this ongoing topic now after the last two years, after the pandemic, uh, and everyone been working remote. Now we're finding a way to some sort of hybrid model. Uh, the question here is, uh, how does this really affect if you are in a really strong growth? How do you keep and establish a valuation culture if, if everyone works re remotely, for instance? I mean, do we work uh, fixed days in the office per week? Or, or I mean, how do you onboard, and, uh, onboard employees? Uh, in a remote environment in the same way and, and uh, what happens to creativity if all meetings are, are in Zoom uh, and the sort of personal relationship. So that's that's my thoughts. I, I don't have a clear view myself. I definitely think uh, we sh uh, should find some hybrid in, instead of 100% remote as I think there's values uh, into uh, actually meeting people in the office, taking a coffee together and, and the small talks. That, that builds some sort of, of culture as well uh, into it. But uh, what do you think, guys? I think it's uh, that's that's interesting question that I struggle a lot with, and we struggle with it in Blockit as well, to be honest, because it's to me it's it's such a it's so brilliant to get the balance in life that you get when you work from home and you don't have to commute for an hour one way and back. And also, if you're a system developer and you just don't go to the office for an hour to sit by yourself and write code and then go go home again. So I understand that. But on the other hand, I really believe in the personal meeting and the creativity that comes up by the coffee machine or when you sit down, have lunch together or when you draw on a whiteboard. So I think it's it's really important to find that balance and also to respect the people that really want to meet their colleagues sometimes. So so I think if if we make make events and things that make sense to come to the office. Uh, I think that's that's the way uh, way to do it. Uh, but don't force people a full week to the office. Uh, rather, we have office days or we meet up when we do fun things and then we have meetings at the same time, workshops and so on. Um, so, so I think the hybrid way is the is the way to go. Definitely, I think the hybrid working will stay. So I think it's, I mean, we need to make the, the best of that. And I think, uh, I mean, for just back to my back, uh, small meetings, it's okay to do them hybrid or completely remote, but then trying to focus on 
more perhaps creative workshops where we all get together, try to organize, you know, meetings where we all try to be in the office together. And then you can combine these two worlds because there, there I mean, some meetings are actually better suited in a digital shape or form. We've really found that certain meetings are okay when you're just sending and, and so on. But when you really want to have a proper dialogue and you want people to be interactive and then meeting in person is the absolute best. But but you also mentioned onboarding. I think that's a very good point because um, we've tried to say that at least for the first weeks, you know, you should be in the office, you should have a mentor who's also in the office to, to get the person up and running and, and get going and to have proper introduction to people and so on. Because it's, we, we I mean, during uh, the pandemic, during COVID, it was really difficult for people to get up and running quickly and they knew no one. And of course, knowing people uh, also makes your life easier. But I still think it's fun. I was, uh, we had a, a sort of a small party last week and I was meeting this guy for the first time. I was like, We've had so many meetings and this is the first time we meet in real life. <laughs> it, it's So I think it really makes a difference when you can meet up and you get to know the person a bit more. So, uh, But forcing, I don't think that's a good idea either. So mm. it has to be some kind of a carrot here that uh, encourages people and makes them uh, realize that it's actually beneficial to be in the office uh, and meet up from yeah. time to time. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's a uh, push-pull thing. It's easy to sort of push people into the office and then it's never going to work. It's going to be like trying to, uh, to put a cat into the bathtub. It's, it's just never going to be a voluntary experience. But if you if you try to sort of instead do it with purpose, if you have a if you have a meeting where it's actually purposeful uh, for all the individuals to meet up, that will generate itself by itself a bit a bit of oh I have a purpose this makes sense to be in the office uh, and then it seems like even though I never ever said you have to be in the office for this meeting, people always tend to show up for these things in the office because they see oh this is relevant for me I'll make an effort to come to the office and. Uh, just another thing to remember is from the other side is how you structure, how you set up the office is important as well, because it shouldn't not just be a thing where you come and you can't work. You have to also make sure that you uh, that you set up the office in a way where you can get work done and uh, that you take away all these problems and uh, things that could stop people from being creative. Some people need like, you know, a cozy lounge chair or something to sit and work in. Uh, some people prefer like a more classic, uh, you know, approach where they sit by themselves in a, in a corner and some people like to sit in a, at a desk and it should all sort of be catered for uh, because otherwise the office is not welcoming to all types of personalities and that's that's hard. Uh, but I think that's also where it starts to have a have an office space, not just welcoming a certain type of person, but all types of people. I mean, developers might need a bit more space and a bit more peace and quiet, and maybe uh, a salesperson needs something completely different. Uh, so that's that's another thing. I just like to, to follow up with one thing um, that's it's easy to, what yeah, I think during the pandemic, it was easy to, to get things done in your own sort of little part of the company. But this cross sort of thing where you get an idea of like, talking to someone, those things are hard to mimic offline. I mean, there are a lot of cases where, where this was done, but I think the really nice thing is when a lot of people are in the office one day for whatever event, it tends to be a lot of interesting ideas surfacing those days. And 
that's vital, I think. Yeah, and, and I totally agree. And we actually have already made some changes in the office layout when coming back to the office. We tried it out and then we did some changes. And also one thing that is important is that things should work. You should be able to work hybrid even from the office, because if you go to the office and just get annoyed because the cables aren't there and the screens aren't there and it doesn't work and the sound is bad, you don't go there again. Uh, but I can also relate to what Jenny said about the new employees. I tried changing jobs during the pandemic pandemic and that was in a way one of the saddest things I've done because on Friday I pressed the red button from from settle and then on Monday I pressed the green button and then I was at block it it was just the same squares I sat in the same uh, room in my home and it was like you know you did didn't get the feeling that I'm in a new company now but when I came to the office my first day and I met people and and I was like they were like hey oh nice to meet you oh you're tall I didn't know that you know everything that came with it it was so lovely um, you can't f get the feeling of people uh, through a screen not good anyway no, I think so I mean uh, even junior employees and then the manager normally want to be in the office and have more more uh, benefits, I think, of being in an office, but that, that could also be sort of role-based, as, as we mentioned, maybe sales, commercial, et cetera, needs to meeting clients more in the office space, uh, more interactions, whether uh, developers need more quiet, uh, longer time zones. So maybe we should not focus on office days, but, but maybe office events that we expect everyone to be there physically because we have this brainstorm or we have this all uh, all hands meeting, et cetera, uh, to just get everyone in and, and actually meet and greet in that sense. And, and people are different. I mean, some are introverts, other are extroverts, and then uh, they have the tendency and would like to be in the office or not. So uh, it's a lot, uh, I think, trial and error here uh, and testing what works breaks for, for your team and your company. But we might also be a bit more forced to recruit fully uh, remote as well. I, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's it's still rather difficult to recruit within tech. So it's uh, Stockholm isn't big enough for all the people that we need. So we probably need to have either have like tech hubs somewhere around in Sweden or even, you know, using Europe as a base or maybe Asia or, or, or start at least for Blockit. That, that's rather new, but to start having completely remote team. It's exactly the same for us. I mean, it's been extremely challenging to hire when, when growing in Stockholm and we've set up hubs in the northern parts of Sweden. And now we're also trying uh, Vietnam and um, but we've, we still haven't um, hired someone who is 100% remote and not belonging to one of these offices. But it's under discussions because it is very challenging to find the resources with the correct competence and experiences. So not yet, but I, I don't think it's an impossibility. No, I, I mean, developers are, are specific uh, situations. Uh, I, that's my reference as well. Uh, for the last company we, we did hire uh, when I was based in Stockholm. We we, uh, we were really looking to to get employees, but we ended up getting uh, getting consultants on remote, uh, and then just get the strategy. Yeah, get them to Stockholm to to sit and work with the team for a couple of weeks to get some FaceTime, and then they, it's easier to work remotely. But uh, since uh, if you're growing really quickly, you cannot really sit and wait and, and take the struggle. Or, or pay double uh, the Stockholm salary for, for a developer just to get someone employed. So I think that's a huge uh, challenge for every startup or quickly growing tech company now.
in Stockholm. Yeah, if, if you do hire remotely, 100% remote, uh, I think it's important to make a plan for how do these people fit in and, and be are sort of given the same opportunities as everyone else to grow and sort of, oh, if they want to move into a certain specific uh, field or if they, you know, will get the chance to progress in the company. Uh, it's important to have a plan for it, not just, oh, we hired remotely and then you don't have a plan. I think that's important to take that into account before you open that door. What would this mean? And what would it mean to the people who are working in that um, specific city, in this case, Stockholm, if somebody came uh, came in and then said, oh, right, I really always went of moving to Berlin or moving to Kiruna or something, would that be okay then? And I, my answer to that would be personally that yes, if you allow people to join remotely, you also have to have that some sort of rule applying to uh, to the people you already have in the company. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Um, we'll go for your question next, if that's okay, Jenny. Okay, yes. So, I mean, uh, we are in a growth phase and uh, we have a lot of things to do. I mean, it's, it's a constant struggle of prioritization and lack of resources and uh, we're trying to optimize it and focusing on both strategic development that we would like to do to strengthen our positions and so on, but also to deliver and to make our current customers uh, happy and and deliver on time for them. So we definitely need to hire constantly and we have a very complex product that it takes some time to get up to speed and it, you know, it, it takes time for the current resources to train the new people. So we need to, at the same time, live up to our promises and deliver according to the time plan that we've set up. But we also need to hire extensively and to get these people up and, uh, and running um, in an efficient way at the same time. And this is a constant juggling of prioritizations and how to, to do this in the best way. You know, how, how can we get people up and running without... Uh, losing the speed of delivery and uh, I think I mean I don't have a, <laughs> a really good answer to that but it's a it's a constant struggle that we face not just finding these people because that is also time consuming the ones that we need to hire but then once we manage to find them how can we get them up and running quicker um, and to do that in a good way for the existing staff that need to train them that is probably the million dollar question to be honest I mean, we see the same and, you know, it's not it's not like it's not resources or, or headcounts that is the problem. It's finding them and onboarding them and getting them productive while not stopping the, the continuous uh, development that we are doing. So I, I, I have been, I've been thinking about would it be good to, you know, onboard 10 at the same time? Would that be a good way to synchronize it or? Would it be a good way to force someone or not force in that way, but but to say that you are responsible for onboarding because you have this and that role or what would be the good way? And I have I have no answer to that. We are trying it out, actually, but it's a problem and it's difficult. No, I think it's clear. I mean, uh, new hires initially decrease speed. Uh, isn't that so? I mean, you have an onboarding process and you have these trade off uh, trade offs uh, productivity. Uh, versus uh, culture and value. How do you get everyone on board on that sense? Of course, the long and also the long term versus short term gain. And if you have are a critical release or delivery coming up, maybe you should uh, wait with the hire until you actually have done that release. Uh, but I also believe when you get someone on board to uh, not just focus on cult culture and color. Uh, 
uh, values to start with, I think it's good for a new employee to get into at least feel that they are productive from day one. Probably not 110% as the other team is, is rushing through the, the fire, uh, uh, cutting out fires, but just be part of the team sitting down. Uh, and then how do you, much do you spend on, on onboarding a new member, especially yeah. if you're a developer, because then that developer loses time on developing something. Yeah, I, I, if, if I could have waited with hiring, you know, after a certain delivery, that would have been an option, of course, because as you say, it really takes, uh, I mean, your production down when, when getting people on board. But but we don't have that option, unfortunately. I mean, we have so many deliveries coming up um, and we need to hire and secure these resources at the same time. So therefore, I mean, I, I understand what you mean, Hannah, with, you know, should we actually hire 10 people at the same time? And then they also have, a, you know, the possibility of empowering themselves, so to say, as a group. Uh, and we're trying to do that. But but uh, it's easier with consultants because, I mean, it's I don't know, it's somehow it's easier to find consultants. But for experienced developers, it's not that easy to find 10 people at a time. So... Um, and when talking to a certain team, I mean, they, they cannot take on 10 people. I mean, they're like, okay, maximum two people, three people. I mean, then we're sort of, we, we can't handle yeah. more. So yeah. it's I, about I agree. It would be a luxury to be able to do so. But we are at least now we are doing, we are starting like a program where we hire junior developers uh, and we hire five in about at the time to start. And then we try to, you know, backfill with the juniors that we train. Oh, okay. That's to, good. To, to, yeah. And it's just, but it's just part of it because people leave, people come. It's it's a circle that goes on forever. Uh, so, so do they start in the same team then, Anna, or do they start in different teams? These these people who join, you mean? Uh, they will start. They will start in different teams, uh, yeah. but they will have clear mentors and coaches. Yeah. Uh, so they will have each other as well. Uh, so that's the plan. Yeah, I think that's very important because when you join a new company, and I know this from experience, uh, especially when it's like a high productive environment, you have a lot of people doing things uh, and you come in and you, they don't have time to onboard you. You sit there and you feel, hmm, what's going on? And you don't have really have a network in a new company. So it's really hard to take on things, no matter how sort of eager you are to, to prove yourself. But what you do in this case, I think is really makes sense because you give them a network within the company of other people and sort of, oh, I I try this or uh, you can ask the questions there. Even if you have a, a mentor, sometimes the bar of asking stupid questions can be a bit too high. So having this network uh, is really good. And if you give it a year or two, they will know people in different areas, which is also good for company culture. So I think that's a, if you're a bigger company, that makes a lot of sense. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Um, and then we've got one topic left, which I'll, I'll come to you on hands first. So who would you say sets the company culture? Is it from the top down or is it from the down up? What do you think? I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. But I mean, uh, it starts uh, in a, I mean, in all organizations, it starts with with uh, with uh, with a manager, but it's also built by the, by the teams and the people who live and practice it each day. But if, they, if there is a leadership in the company that don't allow for a, for a good and sort of open culture, that's never going to be something that would be practiced by other leaders or even like the, the employees themselves, because there wouldn't be enough room for it. But you can't say that you just look for a cultural fit because that's too narrow. I believe uh, when you hire people, you have to look for a cultural contributor. And it me sounds like something uh, like HR or people in culture would, would preach. But I really do think that it that that it holds value because 
when you bring in someone um, uh, and a new person comes comes in, there is so much to learn from that person. And contributing is more than just you know contributing and adding uh, value day in the day to day operations. It's also you know being the person who suggests we do something uh, with the group or like have a different tradition of what they do for fun or you know just being able to add something new. And the organization needs to be open for for this to happen. And that's where it starts with the with the management and and the leadership of the organization i'd say and i think we need to to um you have to have the the like the values as a common foundation in a way if you you have to believe in the values of the company that's something i really believe in and then it's it's really important to recruit for diversity and for diversity i not necessarily mean that you have to have a, a, a different uh, skin color or or a different sex or something. It just has to be that you contribute with different things. We can look exactly the same, but we can be very diverse. And I think that is that is uh, the key here. And then if it comes from above or below, I would say that I mean people. It's it's like with your kid they 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 do what you do and not what you say so if you have all those cultural workshops and you discuss the culture that's not where the magic happens the magic happens in the behavior of the leader and your team uh, mates that is basically where it happens so so i think it comes from it comes from how we as leader behave uh, i agree i think i mean the culture it's when you're a smaller company you often have a quite strong culture and the Perhaps the founders are still there and uh, everyone's very engaged and uh, you have a strong culture. But then when the company grows, uh, then, of course, it's a bit more challenging. And I think then it's more important to have management also stepping in and emphasizing uh, that the culture is important. And as you say, acting according to those values that you have perhaps agreed upon. And um, I can I can see that, you know, culture, it, it can easily be just a few you know, written statements somewhere, but no one really believes in them. And if you want, if you want that to be different, I think you have to, well, I don't know, spend some time on it, perhaps not in workshops, but uh, at least uh, emphasizing these words, trying to incorporate those statements into your daily work somehow, or your goals or um, make them part of your everyday life. Otherwise, culture is not, well, it's just branding or, you know, um, if you really want to incorporate that into your uh, daily work, you have to do some some <laughs> focus work for that. No, I agree. I mean, that's also part of this growth journey, isn't it? I, I, I've been living in uh, and testing both of these. I mean, if you're a small startup, yeah, normally the founders sets the culture uh, because that's how they are and that that's how they want to build the company. But if you are a bigger company, uh, that uh, I mean, not everyone meets the CEO every day, etc. So how do you actually ingrain the, the culture in that? I've been working in, in a larger company that actually really took it from uh, down up and have uh, put a lot of effort, uh, workshop, brainstorms to uh, set the new company values. And, and uh, that was really great. That was not just a poster on the wall. Uh, then the challenge comes when we employ new people that haven't been part of this uh, six months uh, brainstorm uh, collaboration process, but at least uh, the main port knows about it. And then uh, the, the challenge here, I think, independent if it's uh, top down or down up, how do you actually live by it, as, as we have said here? Uh, so it's not just uh, this poster and, and something in the yellow report. How do we in integrate that in the daily meetings, in the performance reviews, in the one-on-ones, et cetera, so we actually could talk about them? 
I heard about some company here that actually made uh, emojis, uh, one emoji for one of the each of their their values. So even in remote digitally, they can they can have it put that emoji up uh, that represent a, a value for them. I think that was kind of smart and a fun way to to keep the values and culture alive, so to speak. Where did they put the emojis? Uh, on Slack or uh, on on these uh, channels that they normally chatted on. Uh-huh. Yeah, we have that as well. Actually, we have five okay. values that we have nice nice was... little emojis for. So that's okay. that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, at least that you get almost a daily reminder about what the values are and you know what they stand for in the emoji. And then just to kind of finally touch on that as a bit of an extension to that question, really. So when when you are hiring uh, new employees or new people to the company, should you still hire people who don't fit into the culture? Is it more about skills? Kind of what's your opinions? I think it's back to, to uh, again, the fundament, fundamental values. If we say, for example, block it, one of the fundamental values is that we work for sustainability. That is like what everyone goes to work to do. And if we would, would hire someone that really didn't believe in that and was like, I don't care about the environment. It's just a myth, everything with the climate crisis and everything. I don't think that would work out because it's so strong in the company. Uh, But I still think that if you believe in the basic values of the company, what the company does, then I think you can, you can have people that are not perfectly cultural fit because it's difficult to say what is a cultural fit the culture is the mix of many 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 people so so yes if Mm, yeah it's it's actually i was thinking about this question a little bit i was just thinking that i mean we have a very strong focus on cooperation for instance helping each other out and so on and what to happen then if we when we do a personality test and we see that they're not so strong when it comes to cooperation okay uh, in the best of worlds, of course, I would have preferred then to find someone else. Um, but on the other hand, we have a very high demand of people. And, you know, these resources are scarce. So if the person also has a perfect experience and a strong possibility of still contributing, I think that in that case, we would actually try to adapt the role and make sure that, you know, we could leverage the expertise and find a suitable role, even though it's not a perfect cultural mix. But it's, of course, it's difficult to exactly say how it would pan out. But I'm just thinking in theory that it would probably be an option in these days when we are, you know, in this position where it's so difficult to find the right people. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Uh, We'll leave it there then. So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Jenny, Hannah, Per, and Hans for providing their insights into the topic. And thanks to everyone for listening as well. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at daniel.mycheck at evolution-nordics.com. And we'll see you next time.